Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week coming to you live from the Soho Theatre in London. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Arndt-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around with our four favorite Christmas facts for our Christmas special. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that when concocting its pumpkin spice latte flavor, Starbucks tried various ratios of pumpkin to spice before eventually settling on 100% spice, 0% pumpkin. (laughs) Was there um, a big pumpkin tax that they were trying to avoid, perhaps? (laughs) Come on, James, you're an apolitical podcast. Um, (laughs) I think I've just saw a sign for pumpkin spice latte the other day and realised I've got no clue what it is. And I still haven't had one, by the way. I think we established that none of us have ever tried it. Dan no, has. No, Dan has. I've had yeah. one. Yeah. You've yeah. had one. Yeah. Has anyone else in the room never had a pumpkin spice anything? Oh. Wait, has anyone ever had one? Yeah. 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 Wow. Not many not people. Not many. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's not the sensation that it claims. In we're the we're about to do 50 minutes on how popular it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> for something that not many people have had, I'm shocked that you're not asking me for the experience, for the, for where did I have it, how was it? I want it to be a surprise. Well, there's no story anyway, so yeah, let's, let's cool. move on. Um, um, so, Starbucks, they're a, a coffee-selling company, and they oh. were looking for a new kind of holiday um, PR thing in about 2003, holiday flavour, and they um, set up a sort of testing room, um, a, I think they called it a lab, a coffee lab. They called it a liquid lab. A liquid lab, oh, cool. yes. Um, and <laughs> they sampled lots of different drinks. They had 100 ideas for new autumn drinks, wow. fall drinks. And... Um, <laughs> wow. You know, people in America can listen to this show as well. A lot of them do. And if you're listening in America, just sit back and feel right at home. Well, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. we're talking about the fall. And... <laughs> And they said they realised at the time that there was, and I quote, nothing around pumpkin in the market. And so they thought, let's come up with a pumpkin spice, as in the spice in pumpkin pie, which is obviously a Thanksgiving thing in America. And so uh, they thought, okay, let's create a pumpkin flavour with the spices that come with pumpkin pie. And they just tested a high pumpkin, low spice option, high spice, low pumpkin option, and then they settled on... Zero pumpkin, because pumpkin does not taste of anything. <laughs> and what it is, it's like what cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves, all those kind of Christmas ginger, yeah. ginger, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So like those are the spices that go with pumpkin. Yeah. But it, yeah. they did massively popularize it. I bet you wouldn't have heard of pumpkin spice in 2002. Oh, it was <laughs> huge, wasn't it? Like Starbucks, particularly. Those fans, there's a secret society of pumpkin spice lovers. It's the PSL. Um, when you say how, how secret, secret. <laughs> I reckon, um, like what <laughs> infiltration work have you done to find out there's a secret? I reckon so. you'd be able to tell if there was one in this room. I reckon we'd be able to smell it. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah, but people really went into it. So the secret society, you basically, when you joined it, they gave you a sort of, you know, the cardboard um, slip that comes over a coffee. It was a sort of woolly version of it, and it was orange, and so you got that as part of the society. There was a Twitter account that had 120,000 followers. That was 2015, but I checked it today, and they've now gone down to 85,000 followers, and the oh. tweets have gone private. So something 
The tweets weren't even Something private happened. of the Secret Society. <laughs> <laughs> had public tweets. Right. I, I don't know what's happened, wow. but something's gone on. I'm a member of some pretty niche societies, but that is, <laughs> that is very niche. Yeah. Well, 2015 was a huge year for pumpkin spice flavour because we should say that was the year that they did add pumpkin due to public outcry. So mm. there is pumpkin in it now uh, because there oh. were various people who spotted that there was no pumpkin in it before. I believe there was a blogger called Food Babe who um, <laughs> she wrote an article about all the ingredients in Starbucks stuff, and it was meant to be an article about if they, the fact that they were unethical or unhealthy and stuff, but she added on the end, and also there's no pumpkin in pumpkin spice lattes, and they hit on that and added pumpkin. Okay. So it does have pumpkin. Uh -huh. Ignore the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. It has spread to everything now, mostly in America, but there's quite a bit over here as well. Uh, there are pumpkin spice hummus, pumpkin spice salad, pumpkin spice butter, pumpkin spice peanut butter. Peanut butter already has a flavour. Peanuts. <laughs> Pumpkin spice water, wallpaper, toilet spray. Wallpaper. I'm afraid. I'm afraid there are. There's a thing called dude wipes, which are male pitched wet wipes. And okay. I, I'm, I'm really sorry to announce they're called dumpkin spice. Okay. There's pumpkin spice um, spam as well that you can get. Oh. And they sort of announced oh. it as a joke. Yeah, spam <laughs> announced it as a joke, and it was not real. And then the the outcry suddenly was there going, but we want it to be real. <laughs> and so they put it out as a limited series because they thought, okay, no one's really going to buy it. And everyone bought it. Wow. And for two years, they had this huge selling pumpkin spice spam, which no one really liked, but they just wanted it, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, uh, Andy, you can get pumpkin spice moss. No. Yeah. Really? Wait. Those of you who haven't been here before, Andy is very much into his moss. Yeah, I like moss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those secret societies we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, it's not officially that, but um, in Jamaica, you can buy Irish moss, which is an aphrodisiac, and it comes spiced with vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. So to all oh. intents and purposes, it's pumpkin spiced. I believe, isn't that... that kind of, what kind of moss is it called again? Okay, it's not real moss. It's not technically moss, yeah. is it? It's a... Um... <laughs> Is it an, it's it's algae, algae, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we, just the last newsletter was quite big on that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, yeah. uh, I was reading some psychology about why pumpkin spice is so popular. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, as we've established, it isn't. But let's go with it is. <laughs> Apparently, uh, scarcity is one of the main reasons that you right. can only get it in the fall. <laughs> oh. Did I do that right, Anna, yeah? Yeah, but I need the to fall. question your pronunciation of scarcity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, apparently, because you can only get it in the autumn and in the winter, um, it makes people desire it more. Mm -hmm. uh, also, a lot of the ingredients are aphrodisiacs, supposedly. What? Yeah. So they are... Oh, the, the spices? Yeah, so uh, cinnamon is known to relax muscles and increase sexual desire. Um, it's been used in Indian traditional medicine for a long time for that. Nutmeg. There's been one study on rats that found that if you give it to rats, <laughs> one study. If you give You're them not picky, are you? Chase? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I was chasing them around that maze for a long time. <laughs> uh, apparently, if you give a rat nutmeg, they uh, have increased number of mounting episodes. Mounting episodes. <laughs> wow. And nutmeg Gosh. used to be so popular that people would carry it around with them, and they would carry their own like nutmeg graters. Uh, this was in the, um, in the Victorian times. 
And Charles Sackville, the sixth Earl of Dorset, used to just eat spoonfuls of nutmeg, which you shouldn't do because it is poisonous if you have too much of it. Um, but he did it, and he had so much one evening that he was imprisoned after running up and down all night, almost naked, through the street <laughs> in a nutmeg frenzy. Wow. <laughs> so pumpkin spice, I have a few issues with it yeah. and the things it's been included in. Mostly dog-based things. So it's in dog brew, which is a kind of doggy beer, non-alcoholic dog beer, because I guess you shouldn't give dogs alcohol. Doggy donuts, dog biscuits... Uh, they all come in pumpkin spice flavour. And this just reminded me of the fact that there's shitloads of human food that has dog versions now. Have you seen? So, I like, dog have ice cream. Have you not seen dog ice cream? No. It's no. everywhere. So, in Aldi, you get, like, dog ice cream for dogs that you feed dogs. It's literally everywhere. There's a cool dog vegan ice cream that costs £120 for a tub of it. To be fair, a wow. five-litre tub. Aldi's but... changed. <laughs> but what, is it non-dairy? Uh, because dogs can't have dairy, right? Uh, this one is non-dairy because it's vegan, and that's one of the things they say is dogs are lactose intolerant. Therefore, we've made our dog ice cream dairy-free. Well, hang on. If they, if, they, if they're not allowed dairy and there's dairy-free ice cream for dogs, what's a puppuccino? Because I saw I saw someone order a puppuccino in front of me in in, in a coffee shop. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, for a dog. Yeah, yeah, for a dog. Right. So you you do know of this um, phenomenon. <laughs> And a pu puppuccino sounds like it's a dog killer. I sort of thought that was a, like a horrific isolated outbreak of that kind of thing. <laughs> but, well, did the guy behind, or the person behind the counter go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> or did they give them something? Because well, it's not isolated. If... Well, they might have misheard cappuccino and just <laughs> given them a cappuccino. Because I frequently say, can I have a cup of tea? And they say, cappuccino? And I say, no, cup of tea. And then, <laughs> like, that happens to me on a mm, few times a year. Well, your like. accent is so hard to understand, isn't it, Andy? <laughs> Can I have a cup of tea? Um, the person who founded Cool Dog, the company mm. that comes up with these ridiculous ice creams, is called Don Thor, which is quite nice for an ice cream inventing guy. Mm. <laughs> but still, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, pumpkin spice is, so it began to be, you know, a global phenomena when Starbucks started doing it. But it is old, isn't it? I mean, it appears in America's first ever cookbook. Um, there was a lady who was called Amelia Simmons, and she wrote this book in 1796, and it has this recipe in it. And uh, it was a pretty amazing cookbook because on it, it says, by Amelia Simmons, but then underneath, she's, it says, American Orphan. And there was this whole thing about being an orphan in it and needing to know how to cook for when you have to move, even as an adult, you know, into new places and be the person who is now going to provide food for a new family that you're living for. Okay. And the, so it's really odd. The first ever American cookbook was basically designed for women and orphans as the, uh, as the main thrush. Wow. Yeah, as the main thrush. Um, main, main thrust. That was one of the recipes, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the What's the beans? Thrush. Um, we're going to have to move on in a sec. Oh, guys. can I tell you about a quick uh, food promotion? Oh, yeah. This yeah, was yeah, about yeah, yeah. kind of how you make stuff popular. Um, okay, I really like this one. This is, a, this is, again, 2003. This is the year that Pumpkin Spice Latte was launched. Uh, there's a seafood chain. They're in the States as well. They're called Red Lobster. And they had about 700 restaurants at, at this time. And they thought, we need to get more punters in. So they launched a promotion which was called Endless Crab. Um, <laughs> and you could order as much crab, snow crab, that's a kind of crab, as you want for $23. And they assumed most people have one or two plates of this crab. Uh, and boy, did they assume wrong. Because as soon as <laughs> someone ordered three plates of crab, the restaurant was making a loss. 
And the problem is, people were turning up and ordering endless crab, basically, as they had, <laughs> as was perfectly their right to do. But the problem is, it's very fiddly to eat. It's crab. those crabs with really long legs, though, isn't yeah. they? So it's a, like it's, a, it's just a very cumbersome process to eat. So they you were turning up. You end up bleeding all over the dish because yeah, yeah, you cut your fingers. So I've been to one of the, these restaurants <laughs> where you eat lobster and crab, and I remember there's was, was a dish full of blood in the end. <laughs> Red Lobster was just called Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but basically, people were coming in, filling up the entire restaurant, ordering crab. They're not leaving for four hours because it takes so long to eat. So wow. no, no other punters were getting in to order any non-crab dishes. I think they lost half a billion dollars, their parent company. Wow. I know. A billion? Wow. This, this, this year, <laughs> they introduced Ultimate Endless Shrimp and they had almost exactly the same problem <laughs> all over again. Oh, my God. There was um, a restaurant in Chicago which had an all-you-can-eat thing. And a woman sat down at a table with a bunch of friends who were, like, six of them. Uh, and she ordered the all-you-can-eat pancakes. And the other said, no, we'll just have some water, please. And they all let all of her pancakes. And she just kept getting more Very pancakes nice. and people just kept eating them. And the police were called eventually. What? <laughs> the police were called? Because they refused to leave. And they were like, well, we're going to have to call the police. They were like, we want more pancakes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I read one that this just happened recently. Um, there's a new McDonald's burger, which is the McCrispy. And in Cornwall, they were forced to take down a poster because they'd accidentally put it up right opposite a crematorium. Nice. And so... Oh, gosh, OK. Just felt a bit... Dear. Hey, Close. grief can make you hungry. <laughs> Smart move. Stop the podcast. Stop the podcast. Hey, everyone. This week's episode of Fish is sponsored by Canva for Teams. That's right. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, whether you're making social media posts, videos, presentations, websites, uh, invitations to small garden parties for yourself and the ambassador. You name it. You can do it. Swish and gorgeous with Canva for Teams. That's right. Remember Pimp My Ride? You want to pimp up your PowerPoint presentation? You want to pimp up your docs, your whiteboards? You can even print stuff through Canva. This is the site in order to make everything go up to the next level in quality and look. They've got premium fonts, they've got photo libraries, they've got graphics, videos, and you can get access to this, this magical land called Canva, simply by going to canva.me fish and you're going to get an extra 45-day extended trial when you head there. That's right. It's really good for collaborating with your team. The whole process becomes much easier. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A dot me, M-E slash fish, and you will get a free 45-day extended trial. Do it now. Okay, on with the show. On with the show. It is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that when making sherry, it is important that you leave space for two fists inside your bunghole. <laughs> so, the fortified Making sherry what? Sh making her happy? <laughs> no. Guys, let's... Come on, let's be serious for a bit. Let's just have a... Nice. Sherry grows in... Grows in... <laughs> sherry grows... Grows on trees, doesn't it? <laughs> All sort of... Like wine bushes, vines, if you like. Um, Are you okay, Andy? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I feel weirdly calm in the. I feel like I'm in the eye of the storm, and everything's happening around me. But I'm kind of all right, and I know I'm not all right. So, Sherry, can you tell us? Sherry is a what drink. your bong hole Sherry, is. Sorry, <laughs> like Sherry is a drink. It grows in Spain. It, it's made in Spain. In 
a place genuinely called the Sherry Triangle. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. This sort of region where the, the soil is amazing and it has very chalky soil and it's absolutely perfect for growing the grapes that make sherry. And um, it is matured in casks. So, you, you know, you take the grapes, you press them, you leave the pressings, they're, they're known as must. Uh, they, go, they ferment and then they go into barrels and they, they are aged for ages in the barrels and... You know, that's where the flavors mature and, they, and the, you know. Uh, and so they go into these, they're called butts, the sherry butts, which are 500 liters is one butt. And um, obviously you need access to the butt, so you need a bunghole. And the, you know, so you, you drill a hole and you put the bung, you put the bung in, the bunghole, and mm. then you, and the, the, the point, the, the, <laughs> the, the point is that I am fine. Some, I'm fine, I'm fine. Some sherries, like dry sherries, they have this layer that grows on the top. It's called uh, floor. And yeah. it's, a, it's a layer of different kinds of yeast, and it, it really contributes to the flavour. Right. And okay. so you want to let the floor grow. You need to leave space on top of the wine. So traditionally, you leave two spaces, two yep. fists worth of space, yeah, yeah. on the inside of the barrel, <laughs> yeah, yeah. below the bunghole. And that's it. That's all oh, it is. That's just nice. yeah, just a, so it's right. nothing to do with fisting. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the material I've got. So... Uh, do you know what an uh, escafina is? Uh, escafina. Escafina. No. Yeah, I looked into. There's a glossary. Um, it's the tool that they use. It's a semicircular tool used to remove splinters on the inside of the butt caused by drilling the bungholes. <laughs> so that's a that is the tools that that's we use. That's very cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. There are a load of there's there's so much like cool terminology. They have the special tools designed to like extract a sample from the middle of the barrel, which is where you want to be tasting it, and mm -hmm. they have this amazing stacking system as well. It's like a pyramid. The new barrels go on top, and then gradually you transfer the sherry down bit by bit. Oh. But that means that the sherry's always mingling with newer and older stuff. And there are some of these systems, they're called soleras. Some of them are more than 100 years old. You know, there wow. will be fractions of tiny droplets which are more than 100 years old with that barrel system, I think, which wow. is well, really remaining in there, wow. which is cool. And the weird thing about the sherry system that I didn't know is, well, let me see if you know. So if I'm in a restaurant, I order a sherry, and they say... Um, <laughs> no, what? sorry, madam, you're under 80 years old. You can't do that. That's not normal. <laughs> it's making a comeback, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you say, oh, what, what vintage is that? What year is that sherry from? What's wrong with what I've just said? Oh, say it again. Uh, vintage. Oh, from no year. From no year, exactly. Oh, is that right? Talk to me, Dan. It's a time-travelling barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking to me. <laughs> no, because it's been, it's been going through this pyramid system. Exactly. So it's not from one year, it's from a range of... It's all mixed up. I didn't um. realise this at all. So um, it's from lots of different years, each sherry, and the Solera system is like the mixing up of different vintages, and apparently the older wine matures the younger wine, and the younger wine keeps the older wine fresh and vigorous. Okay. Uh, so you, once you've got your sherry, you put it in a barrel, yeah. uh, you can improve it by sending it round the world. <laughs> Uh, and this is something that, again, is making a comeback. So quite recently, there has been a ship called the Juan Sebastian de Elcano, uh, where they've sent a barrel around the world. And when it comes back, it's going to be tastier, apparently. It's all the sloshing around. It's known as Mariedos sherry, which is seasick sherry. Wow. And apparently, because it sloshes around all that time, it tastes way better. Isn't it amazing that like that's the theory, but we don't know. So they just go, in th like yeah. everyone reports that this makes it better. It must be the swaying of the boat as you go along. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Awesome. And back in the day, they used to do this all the time. And whenever anyone would go on around the world, they would take some sherry with them and you would put it on the boat. And when it came back, it'd be worth five times more than when you left it. 
Really? Yeah, so you could sell it for five times more. So as long as you put enough on there, it was worth it to sail wow. it all the way around the world to make that money. That's Couldn't cool. you just like employ an intern to knock it over and pick it up <laughs> loads of times? It's not quite as romantic, is it? <laughs> yeah. Like, this has been interned. But, yeah. No one's going to know the difference. <laughs> but Ma Magellan, when he went around the world, he brought way more sherry than he did actual armory to protect the people on his boats. 20% of the funds that were spent on the things brought onto the boat were for exclusively sherry. Wow. And um, so he had... To be fair, he wasn't meant to be declaring war on anyone. No, but it did get him into a situation where he, on the day that he died, he did have to bring in a group of people on the island in order to make up the missing armory, basically. And then he died in the subsequent attack. So they say sherry very slightly was involved in his demise as a result. But he brought on 203 butts, barrels, of mm. sherry, which is the equivalent of 243,000 litres. That's what they had for Whoa. these trips. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Another person who sailed with a lot of sherry was Sir Francis Drake. So after he attacked Cadiz, known as the singeing of the King of Spain's beard, you might know about it. It's like around the time of the Spanish Armada and stuff. Um, he came back with a load of sherry barrels. In fact, he came back with 2,900 casks of the stuff. Uh, and that began something called the sherry craze in Britain because they suddenly had all this sherry, all the you know rich people in the country could drink it. They'd never had it before, and it became really, really popular. And the really interesting thing about that is, after a little while, had a lot of empty sherry barrels, um, because you know they drank it all. So what did they do with that? They started putting alcohol in there in Scotland. It gave it more flavor, and we invented whiskey. So good. So whiskey came from sherry. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's so, and that's, that's how you make whiskey. You need yeah. sherry. But, but there's a huge problem, which is that sherry became really unpopular. You know, it's sort of the sales absolutely cratered in the 80s. Right. And as a result, they were making, you know, a fifth of the sherry they used to. Um, and like, it's not shipped in barrels anymore. So what do you do for the whiskey? You can't make whiskey anymore if you don't have the sherry because it's not being made. And even if it is made, it's not in the barrels. So now... Sherry makers are filling barrels with sherry just to flavour the barrel. No. Yeah. There's so, what, and then just tipping it into the ocean? Pretty much. What's, I've, like, really? I've got space in my house. So, <laughs> have you got space for a million litres of sherry? You know what? what? I'll find room. <laughs> but some sherry makers make a million litres of sherry to season whiskey casks. No. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure what? they find a use for the sherry, yeah, but, that's, yeah. but that's why they're doing it. It's for the whiskey thing, for the whiskey trade. Because there are a billion litres of scotch exported from Scotland every year. It's a massive trade so yeah wow i like so sherry's a, a fortified wine basically and i like the fact that you make fortified wine by adding wine to wine <laughs> <laughs> it's just double wine oh, it's just wow. like you on a night out no, like, yeah. <laughs> 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 i'm fortifying the wine gradually in my stomach <laughs> um i guess because no I'm, I'm always a bit confused about um how you make all these things that are so related to the grape. But basically, you get the wine from this region of Spain and you make it in this certain way that they make it, and then you add brandy to it. And all brandy is is distilled wine, i.e. wine where they've removed as much of the liquid as possible and left the distilled alcohol. And so you just chuck, chuck that in. So sherry is just wine plus wine. And it's good because wine, I didn't realise, has a maximum possible strength. Really? I, you know... I'd never questioned why, you know, wine hovers around the 13, 14%, can never quite crack above into <laughs> yeah. 15, 16. Why not? Desperately, Anna, like, <laughs> turning around every single bottle on this huge supermarket aisle. 
There will be one. There will be one fifteen. <laughs> You're right, because like fourteen is a horrifically strong wine to me. Absolutely. And I uh, like a nice, you know, ten or eleven. You know, like something a bit like, you know, watered down. Yeah. Please. You're but, drinking the 0.5 percent beers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it actually can't survive if the alcohol concentration gets too high. So you have wine is made by having yeast convert the sugars. So it's made by fermentation where yeast converts the sugars, but yeast dies in a certain concentration of alcohol. So, awfully, it's killed by the thing it creates. It creates ethanol, and then it's killed by it if it gets above 16%. And so that's why we need things like sherry and brandy, because <laughs> they are able to exist above the 16% um, hurdle. Okay. I was reading the Australian Dictionary of Slang uh, about the word bung, because uh, oh, yeah. this was about bung holes. Yeah. Uh, and it says, bung is a term which may refer to two very separate things. It may be the hole in the barrel where beer is poured from, or it may also be an anus. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some um, bung phrases, and you have to decide whether the bung in the phrase refers to the barrel or the anus. Great. Right. Okay. Okay, so um, bung juice. <laughs> this is, <laughs> is bung juice a slang word where the bung part refers to an anus? Or a barrel. Now, I think I've got a bit of inside knowledge here, because I think... I think it's the barrel, because I think there is a thing called bunghole sniffing, which is where you're testing the... <laughs> you're testing the whiskey by just giving the barrel a quick sniff, and it's sort of... it's permeated through it. So I, I'm going to say barrel. Yeah? Are we all in agreement? I'm going to go with Andy, the expert on bungholes, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Bung juice just means beer. It's another word. Oh, okay. very nice. Okay. Um, to hit the bung. To hit the bung. Uh, shaky territory here. Uh, what country did you say? These it's are, in Australia. These you are all should Australia, know so I should know these. Uh, hit the bung. Come on, mate. Let's hit the bung. Um, it's... Oh, oh, mate, you hit the bung hard last night. Um, okay. It's amazing seeing you pretend to be the thing you actually are, Australia. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say it is, again, a wine thing. Yeah, uh -huh. you're right. It means to get drunk. Uh -huh. Just to, to go out. Hit the bung. Hit the bung. Hit the bung. Yeah, yeah. very nice. Uh, a bung ball. Bung ball. Bung ball. That's got to be anal. It's... <laughs> Ooh, yes. Like, what? No, I think it's wine. I, yes. They, I, I, weirdly, I read about a mythological creature that seeks out the bung ball, and it's, a, it's where it's believed the soul is kept. It's a little ball inside the anus that this beast comes to, to eat. What are you talking is this about? Real? Yeah, it's a... It's not what James has on his piece of paper. <laughs> There's a mythological creature that eats the bunghole um, soul ball that's in our anuses. <laughs> No. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Myths and legends in Australia are very different to the classical. <laughs> Ancient Greece, a horse with wings. Australia, Australia. it's going to eat your bung ball, mate. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a dance run by someone who runs a pub. Brilliant. A bung ball. A bung ball. Yeah. You've, you've not, you've, you've, they've all been beer so far. Or, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I didn't want to go, you know, yeah, below two, the belt. Two, yeah, 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 fair enough. Two yeah. blues. So there's been a period where rude words have been allowed to be added to the names of wines now. So, for example, before 2001, the word bitch was never used on a bottle of wine before. Since then, in the subsequent seven years, there's been 65 wines that all have that as part of their name. And really? words like ass and arsehole... When and... you say allowed, it's like by the government of... The wine government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's... 
yeah. Other international wine courts? Wine authorities. Yeah, I or think is this in, in one country. Is it here, for example, in the UK, or is it? Yeah, there is a governing body that allows people to say, yeah, it'll be for certain countries. Like you can call it bitch, sort of bitch tits wine now. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. If there's ever going to be a 15% wine, that is it. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the 1894 Baltimore Orioles baseball team had a superstition in which every player would drink a glass of gravy before every match. Wow. So this is from a book called Field of Magic, uh, and it's a book all about different superstitions. And yeah, I just thought it was strange and very Christmassy gravy. Yeah. Uh, the Orioles were, they were like a, quite a good team at the time. They were, they were quite dirty team. A lot of people thought that they had very good uh, team morale and they, had, they were a good team together. And apparently one of the reasons was they would drink a glass of turkey gravy before batting practice on game days. Ooh. Was that one of the reasons why they were a dirty team? Had they all thrown up gravy down their front? Yeah. What's a, what's a dirty team? Are they cheating or are they... They would right. do a few tricks. Like, they would put soap around the mounds so that if an opposing pitcher was trying to get their hands nice and um, slippery... or Sorry, to dry them in the dirt, it would get slippery instead. And so they yeah, did yeah, just yeah. little psychological things uh, to... Wait, so right. as a pitcher, you want to have, just to explain... Yeah. Um, people, pitcher, you want to have hands that are dried in the dirt? Yeah, you want, well, you, you want to throw with precision, right? So you want your hands as dry as possible and not sweaty. You want grip. Because yeah. spitting on balls, obviously, in other related sports, mm. um, can be an advantage. Like a cricket. <laughs> also cricket not allowed. Spitting on baseballs was a thing as well, wasn't it? Spitballs. And that the idea was you would normally have a good grip on them, but with the spitball, they might go in a really weird direction when they flew through the air. They became quite dangerous, and they got banned because someone actually died, I think, when they got hit by a spitball. Get out. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into they the... Blame the spit for that? <laughs> <laughs> that's so, like, surely the, that's the very outermost layer of a hard baseball travelling through the air fast. Well, like, like, what are they otherwise going to do, just use foam? No, like, I know, I know. I just think that's like, blame the ball. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's all very questionable whether these things make that much of a difference to the ball. You know in cricket where the, the, it's cloudy and so people go, oh, it's cloudy, the ball's going to move around a lot today. Or, I don't know, you know, it's a little bit of a fog. It's like, oh, the ball's going to swing to the left constantly. And no one actually... I think a lot of these things have not yeah. been proven and no one can actually but say why. They've got to talk about something for five days. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the thing about gravy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is, a this, is a, this is a story about uh, an elderly lady in uh, Scotland, in West Dumbartonshire, right? This is three years ago, 2020. Uh, her family, she was, I think, in her 80s. They were tidying up her house. Uh, she was still around, but they just, she was just having a, a clear out. And um, they threw away some old Bisto tins, right? You know, okay. like a load yeah. of clutter in the kitchen, a load of old Bisto tins, chuck them out. Turns out she had hidden her life savings of £20,000 in cash. Oh, not in gravy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, she'd, hidden, she'd hidden 20 grand in the, in the best oh, of the family. Away. There is a happy ending. They went to the recycling centre and two absolute heroes who worked there searched for two hours through all the chucked away bags and they found the tins. Wow. She got it back, thank God. <laughs> Listen, guys, you don't need to applaud the recycling workers. Yeah. Also, two hours. That wasn't 48 hours. That was... Do you know why Bisto is called Bisto? I actually right. don't. Bisto. 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 Because uh... you bestow it on, well, your daughter, if she hadn't chucked it out, for instance. <laughs> That's a great answer, but it's wrong. Well, it rhymes with, sort of rhymes with bliss. 
a bit, not quite at the first half. Bliss, though. <laughs> like, bliss? I thought it was an ad campaign. A, a that bit sort of, of the bliss. word rhymes with bliss. <laughs> yeah. I thought there was an ad campaign which used the word bliss and bisto together. There might have been. There was quite a lot of ad campaigns, yeah. but that wasn't... No, no. Okay. Um, it is an acronym for Browns, Seasons and Thickens all in one. Oh, yeah, cool. Sorry, but that doesn't... Well, I added some extra words in. <laughs> Browns, Seasons, Thickens, BST. Browns, yeah. Seasons, Thickens in one. Where's, this, where's the I? Pisto. Pisto. The in Pisto. one. The in has been taken and moved <laughs> to earlier in the acronym. Right, so we should call it Pistoey. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an and in there as well. Steve. Bissat. Bissatio. 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 These guys don't know what they're doing. They're drunk on gravy. <laughs> they probably oh. changed it to what it became because they were like, this is getting nothing like the word bliss. <laughs> <laughs> what will we do? A gravy train. Yeah. Uh, that's a phrase. Yes. Yeah. Found myself looking for whether there was ever an actual gravy train. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't appear so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. We don't know why we say gravy train. We don't know why it's a train. Um, and gravy, obviously, is slang for something that's, like, easily won. Um, hence the reason we say gravy train. But why train? And apparently there was a writer who theorised that it was actually a mishearing. Um, and he wrote that since gravid means laden with eggs, a gravid rain would imply a fall of eggs. So gravy train is probably a mishearing of gravid rain. <laughs> what a, like, what a disgusting sounding. Yeah. Eggs raining down on you. Yeah. Wow. We don't think that's where it comes from. No. Um, I was looking at what well, what's what is gravy but the juices of meat. So I was. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Thank you, Slavoj Zizek. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a sort of philosophical paper that you've been it's working on for 12 like... years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm building it up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, gravy is just the juices of meat and then you thicken it, right, by chucking in yeah. um, a corn thickener. Yeah. Um, exactly, corn flour. And so, you know, when you get rare meat and it's red, mm. why is it red? Blood. Yeah, so that... But it's not blood, is it? Meat juice. Meat, meat juice. juice. It's thank you from Sin backstage. Sinister heckle. Because it sounded like it came from behind. Was it you who said it? Have you been there the whole show? <laughs> I'm so sorry, you've got the worst view in the house. I'm so sorry. He's just got a view of my bunk. Oh, oh yeah, you got a left. <laughs> well, thank you for quietly and sinisterly murmuring meat juice. That was, that was amazing. I, I thought this was interesting. When people uh, say, is that meat really nice and bloody? Mm. It's got nothing to do with blood, the redness of rare meat and the juices, yep. the red juices that squeeze out of it. So it's from myoglobin. So it's from the muscle. And myoglobin is the protein that transports oxygen through muscles, like hemoglobin transports it around our body. And similarly, like with hemoglobin, the reason that's red, when myoglobin is exposed to oxygen, it goes red. So it's just this protein in the muscles that goes red when you cut into meat. When it's sitting inside the meat, it's not red at all when it's not exposed to oxygen. Right. Um, but then it it's becomes It's kind of our red. fault, in a way. We've turned that it the red. The red stuff is there, as in... Yeah. I think it is, it is indeed our fault, yes. Mm. Okay. The World Gravy Wrestling Championships. Mm -hmm. Gravy wrestling. Gravy wrestling takes place at the Rosen Bowl pub in Rosendale in Lancashire. Uh, and the fire brigade are always there. <laughs> what? They're Can't they there. just use the gravy yeah. if there's a fire? Deploy the gravy cannon. Um, <laughs> what? Can, yeah, you what? Know, can you guess why they're always there? People get stuck 
No, people don't get stuck. They're covered in gravy. You could drown in gravy, so they're sort you of like could. a life rescue. So the, yeah, I guess the fire brigade would do that. No, what, they just... No. There's a big... You need a big fire... You need a big flame to make all that gravy. <laughs> no, they just wash down the wrestlers between belts. Oh! With their big water panels. OK. Uh, Very and good. There was a pro. They specifically say that if you're a pro wrestler, you shouldn't take part because it's just for fun. It's like the right. people who win it are the people who have the best outfits and who have the best style and stuff like that. Okay. But there was a professional wrestler called Tommy Jupiter who went and did it. Can you tell what the difference between pro wrestling and gravy wrestling is? What's the biggest problem, perhaps, with gravy wrestling? Uh, boiling water. Boiling water. Boiling water. water. It's not boiling hot gravy. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should say it's cold what? gravy. Another year of third degree burns at the gravy wrestling championships. <laughs> Shall we go cold next <laughs> shit? No, no. <laughs> Um, apparently, you can't get grip on people, but also um, oh, okay. it gets into your eyes and your ears, and you can't see or hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you just end up flailing around the whole time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, yeah. So, is this the pro wrestler's excuse for losing? Is this... Sounds like it. Um, can I just quickly ask the room? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those of you here who are. Uh, millennial or Gen Z, if you know what roughly age, age group you're in. Can you give me a chair? <laughs> and those who are, I know it's a slightly younger crowd, so those who are over like 50, give us a chair. <laughs> okay, right, so the, the first lot, if you, if you like gravy of the millennials or Gen Z lot, give us a chair. <laughs> That's a, okay, it's completely ruined my fact, thank you. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the slightly older group, the 50s and over, if you like gravy, give me a chair. Okay, right, that's... <laughs> okay, now let's, now let's hear the fact. <laughs> the words I've got written down are, young people don't like gravy anymore. <laughs> Not in this room. This room is the absolute nexus of, of young gravy lovers. <laughs> um, it doesn't no, surprise me that our fans are weirdo outliers. <laughs> I bet you anything. Yeah. If we ask millennials or Gen Zs, uh, give us a trivia like Sherry. See, I told you. Weird yeah, yeah, yeah. outliers. I was reading a, a, a lot of surveys about gravy and about who likes it and who doesn't, and I, I, I did read... OK, just listen to this. I'm, I'm quoting directly, right? British people are so obsessed with gravy that they drink it through straws, take it on holiday, <laughs> and, and even pour it over pizza and pasta. This is a poll of 2,000 adults that found that 13% uh, of people eat it in the car, 11% <laughs> carry it in a flask, and 14% take it on holiday with them. And this happens to be a, a survey commissioned by Schwartz Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia Winkleman um, uses it to tan. Get gravy? Out. Really? Yeah, she mm. does, or she used to. I think um, now she has someone else who sprays tan on her. But yeah, when she was at what uni... Did she use? It's like, like painted on. Well, do you know, all she did was she told Woman's Hour that she used gravy granules to generate her tan, her fake tan at uni when she first got obsessed with tanning, oh, as she right. explained. Didn't they do that in the war when they didn't have stockings? Yeah. They, would... they did, yeah, yeah darken right. their legs with gravy. Um, wartime thing. But I don't, think, I don't think it was even Second World War when Claudia Winkleman was at uni. So. <laughs> <laughs> Stop the podcast! Stop the podcast! Hey everyone, this week's episode of Fish is sponsored by NetSuite. That's right. NetSuite is a cloud financial system. It streamlines your accounting, your financial management, your inventory, your HR, and more. If you run a business and you would like things to be run a little bit better around here, then NetSuite is the thing that allows you to do that. That's right. So... 
Three numbers you need to know, guys, if you want to make your business a more efficient, better place, and that is 36,025 and the number one. 36,000, that's the number of businesses which have all upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite is turning 25 this year. It's a company that's been around ages and uh, it's been helping businesses do more with less and close their book in days and not weeks. So they drive down costs as well. And the number one, because your business, hey, is one of a kind. Yes, and you are number one. And the one thing you should do to sort your business out, aha, segue, is go to netsuite.com slash fish. You can download their KPI checklist. It's designed to give you consistently excellent performance in your business. Just go there, do it now. That's right. So download NetSuite's popular KPI, that's Key Performance Indicators Checklist, and it's absolutely free at netsuite.com slash fish. Okay, on with the show. On with the show. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that every year on November 29th, people in the Netherlands put a pancake on their head. It's just a thing they do in the lead up to the Christmas period. It's uh, what day is oh, it yeah. today? It's they get the pancakes out and they just plop is it on this their head. Everyone and like if you no. watch the news, are they all wearing pancakes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it like a poppy? And if you don't wear it on TV, oh. then people really kick Where's off. Where's this bloody pancake? It's so disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a growing trend. Basically, this erupted off the back of a cartoon that was published in 1986, where in the cartoon, pancakes are put on there. It's there's a long, convoluted story, but the basic premise is a joke is made, a pancake's put on a head, and it kind of just got picked up by people in the Netherlands and slowly in the subsequent, what, you know, 30-ish years, people are now doing it to the point that I've asked three people from the Netherlands, they all go, yeah, yeah, we do that. So it's, yeah, yeah. So effectively in the cartoon, the reason uh, for one of the reasons that it was used is that it's very cold in late November. And if you have a bald head or even a bald spot, you can use the pancake as effectively. Nope, not a reason. Okay, not not the reason they're doing it. Not in the post-hat world. No, yeah. You're right. Before the invention of the hat, and it is correct, this would be plausible. Yeah, but you can't eat your hat afterwards, can you? Yeah. And that's where the phrase comes from, doesn't it? I'll eat my hat. And it's, that's from when hats were pancakes. Oh, so I'm so sorry, I should, have, I should have properly researched this made-up story from a comic book. <laughs> Don't start where you can't finish, all right? Because we've got more questions about this. Okay, keep uh, going. Do the pancakes end up being eaten? Or are they disposed of? No, I, I think... Oh, God, yeah. Do you eat your own pancake, or is it like you... You, you <laughs> see what? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, think yeah, that's like, a bit sexy? Well, you someone just sort of lock eyes with someone across a bar, and they both, they've got a nice pancake on their head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know. It gets to 11.59 and you're like, oh, look at your lips. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're both upside down, eating each other's pancakes, you know. God, you'd think, given I'd spoke to three people who do this, I would have asked more questions than just, do you put it on your head? Yep, yeah. OK, good, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> um, but that's what happened. I just asked that one question. Ah, Silly okay. me. What a great question. Do they eat it afterwards? I have no idea. I think they do. OK, there I we go. I believe they do. Um, and I think it's just for a photo, isn't it? Often. Maybe the cheats do it for a photo. And no toppings on the pancakes at the time, as oh, far as I can yeah. tell. Is it the sort of smaller smaller diameter thicker pancakes or mm. is it like the big crepes that you oh, have? Oh, that's a great question. Like thin or thick pancakes? I think if I had a bold patch I'd go for the, the thick, yeah. smaller ah, one. But yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. the photos and they're more like the crepes. Mm. Yeah. 
So he that would seemed, be like a yamulka, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking it was. It was like a winter yamulka, which is. But yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's more like the big uh, a bucket hat. So they are like the crepe ones. Okay, good. Mm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> any further? Uh, I'm actually not taking any more questions at this time. Um, <laughs> it is quite. It's quite a niche, and it feels like quite a modern social media-driven tradition, isn't it? Yeah. Where like, people sharing pictures of themselves and i was looking at like kind of weird modern christmas traditions that grow so in sweden i don't think we've mentioned kale anka before which is such a phenomenon so this is the fact that half of people in sweden on christmas eve watch donald duck 50 percent of the country wow mid 40s percent since you know netflix and stuff but, yeah, and it's these Disney short cartoons that's been happening since 1959. And I was reading an article by a guy who's going out with a Swedish girl, and he spent Christmas with their family, and he said it's not at all a light-hearted thing. You do not eat or prepare dinner while watching. Everyone sits very quietly and watches. Really? People plan their Christmas around it. So you've got lunch before Kale Anka, you've got Father Christmas comes after Kale Anka, but when that's on, you've all got to watch and they've seen it, you know, 40, 50, 60 times before. And the biggest complaint scandals in Swedish television come the few times that they suggest cancelling it. Right. So I think the 1970s, they said they wanted to alter it or cancel it. And, yeah, huge um, outcry. So it's the same cartoon, five minutes short every time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. A, a series of cartoons. That's amazing. What country did you say? Uh, in Sweden and also in Denmark, I think they do it as wow. well. Wow. Is anyone from Sweden or Denmark in the audience? Norway. And Norway. And Norway. And, Norway. and so okay. you guys do that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do you like it? The first ten times was okay. <laughs> the first ten <laughs> times was okay. <laughs> There's a guy called Arnie Weiss who is a presenter in Sweden, and he was the presenter of the show that kind of hosted it, and he said it broke up three of his marriages. What? Sorry. Again, who would like to take first question on this one? <laughs> Donald Duck. Do we know how? Like, was he walking around like Donald Duck without any trousers on? <laughs> and kept bumping into other women. Yeah. Wait, him presenting it broke up three of his marriages? This Correct. feels like a lot of transference by him. On... Um, so I think he did uh, drink a lot as well. Um, but... <laughs> it every year and he one year he said do you mind if i record it in advance because it is literally the same thing every year record it in advance and i can spend christmas with my family and rumor got out that he wanted to record it in advance and there was genuine proper public outcry the media got hold of it and said absolutely not has to be live has to be christmas eve and christmas eve i think is a bigger deal than christmas day a lot of those places so Mm, um and it broke up his marriages it's not like we're getting brownie points if anything no because it's on the rocks already the wife said you know get back to your producers and tell them you're not going in this year he's Right. Asked them, he's come back tail between his legs, and the they producer's said, like. <laughs> <laughs> That's wow, gosh, poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. yeah. Spending Christmas with your family is kind of a modern tradition, I guess, in this country. Uh, and apparently, spending Christmas with your in-laws can have a detrimental effect on your bowels. This is a study in 2016 um, that collected gut bacteria from people who had spent Christmas in their own family or people who'd spent Christmas with their in-laws, and they found a significant decrease in ruminococcus species uh, in people who visited in-laws. And if you don't have as much of this um, kind of gut bacteria, it's associated with stress, with depression, and it can give you 
very loose bowels. So, right. Is it the wait? Is it the stress and depression that causes the bacterial thing? That's what we're thinking. Yeah, exactly. So it's more stressful and depressing. It's more stressful be. for you because you're with your in-laws. You have less of this bacteria. You need to go to the toilet more. Right. right. Wow. And we're sure it's not just an excuse. The scientists writing this were visiting their in-laws and <laughs> they just want to excuse themselves for the 19th time at Christmas. Oh, where's Daniel? Oh, it's just the bowel thing. You read that study, didn't you? Yeah. In these papers, the scientists are always really rigorous and they give their like caveats in case there's anything. And they said, it is possible that participants with greater aversion towards their in-laws have used the excuse of participating in a scientific study addressing Christmas poo to not visit their in-laws during Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> well, just while I remember, as well as a pumpkin spice latte, uh, Starbucks also recently released a olive oil latte. And allegedly, if you have it, uh, you may shit yourself. So <laughs> be near a toilet if you go there. Um, yeah. I mean, with a latte, you're in danger of shitting yourself anyway, exactly. right? Exactly. Then put, yeah. put well, some the oil thing. in. It's like the, um, yeah, the oil loosens you up and mm. the coffee makes you want to go. Lubricates. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, why would anyone order an olive oil latte? That's, that sounds absolutely <laughs> It's foul. much smoother, apparently. Yeah, no kidding. I mean... <laughs> I wasn't struggling. I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't treating a normal latte like it was made of gravel. I'd be like, <laughs> I know I'm not a frontier pioneer kind of guy, but I'm capable <laughs> of getting to the end of a latte without, you know, lacerating my throat. <laughs> All right, can I, can I tell you about another uh, tradition? Yeah. This is an old yeah, tradition, cool. actually. This is a very ancient French tradition. It's called the Feast of the Ass, yep. and it <laughs> dates back to grow up. <laughs> It's also known as the Feast of the Donkey, but it's much less funny. Um, <laughs> and it's basically you take a donkey... Um, <laughs> you take, <laughs> take it where, Andy? <laughs> you take it to church, actually. Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah, okay. you take the donkey through the town, and, um, and then it's... And then you take it... What? Guys, seriously. Literally everything you say sounds like a euphemism. I've got sort of trapped. I'm in a maze. Everywhere is suggestive. Um, often there's, some, there's someone riding the donkey and it goes into the like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, just, I'm just trying to whip through all the innuendos so we can, you know, like... Um, and it stands next to the altar in the church and it stands and, the, and then the priest does the sermon. Yeah. And then at the end of the sermon, the priest and the congregation, they both do a call and response kind of mimicking the donkey's voice. They all go, ee And it's a really fun thing to do. Yeah. It's the 12th century, so this is like, uh -huh. this is as fun as life gets, basically. Um, and then you have a raucous party outside. And it's basically that old Christmas tradition of uh, inverting normal society. Uh, like Lord of Misrule. And Lord of Misrule. The bosses are not in charge. The servants mm. are in charge. All of that. And it's basically all folded into that. Yeah. But Very that was cool. Christmas for centuries was not a family affair. It wasn't something sort of pleasant and homely and, and, and like Christmassy and snuggly. Yeah. It was like out in the streets, uh, there's a whiff of violence and a lot of alcohol. And, and a lot of a... shagging, I think. I seem to have really? a feast of the ass. There were a lot of um, <laughs> people. <laughs> a lot of pancake gone through, yeah. I think so. Uh, wassailing was another thing they did, wasn't there? Is that how you pronounce it? Wassailing, wassailing. I, I... I don't, I don't know, really know what wassailing is. It's when you go house is. to house singing, basically, okay. Okay. and they give you like some money or some candy or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, but traditionally, it was, oh, it's like almost, over a thousand years old, maybe, the, the idea of it. And what would happen was the lords of the manor would be in their house, and the local people would go around to their house and wassail, and they'd be given gifts by the lord of the manor. Kind of like trickle, Christmas trick-or-treating. It is, apart from the fact that the gift that they got given was often animal manure. 
because in those days, obviously, you know, <laughs> it was good for growing your plants and oh, crops and stuff like that. Very hard to wrap, though. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, what could it be? <laughs> <laughs> Is it maybe the tricycle my little boy's been asking for? <laughs> you could mould it into deceptive shapes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to get people's hopes up. Uh, it's very hard to wrap if you've had an olive oil latte. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh I, I found a few other Dutch traditions. So there's uh, this thing that they do in the Netherlands, which is they'll take children, sort of, uh, sort of about 10 to 13, about that sort of age, um, and they just drop them off in the woods at the middle of the night. They just drop them is all off. Is this Hansel and Gretel you've been it's reading? Ba it's yeah. basically this thing. It's a, it's a scout thing where they just get them into a car in the middle of the night, they drop them off at the woods, and they just have to find their way back. And they say that in the towns, at like 2 to 3 a.m., these kids come stumbling no back. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a genuine tradition. Again, I, I spoke to three people who've done it, and I, um, I asked one question of them and then hung up. Um, and then there's this other amazing thing, which I think is really sweet. Um, in the Netherlands, there's this town that's called Margareten, and it has a, um, an American cemetery and so there are 8,300 Americans who were buried there from the Second World War. And there's a thing that they have there, which is you adopt a grave. And so each family goes and they maintain the grave and they bring flowers every weekend and so oh, on. So and nice. they make sure that the, that the person is being remembered and looked after. Quite a cool tradition. Yeah. Do you guys know Elf on the Shelf? Oh, yeah. Are you, oh. Do you know what Elf on the Shelf is? Yeah. Again, I'm clinging on by my fingernails to Elf on the Shelf. I don't really know what it is. Um, so it's where you, as a parent, mostly in America, you buy an Elf on the Shelf and you hide it in a different place in the house every day in the Christmas period. We do it at home. It's a, it's a little stuffed toy Elf, yeah, and you put it up and it's like, whoa, what's he doing up there today? And then, oh, what's she hiding in that cupboard for today? And so it's hide and seek every is day. Is the idea not, though, that the Elf is watching over you and making sure that you're not naughty? That's what I thought it was. That's exactly correct, yeah. Yeah. Wait, because it... so I, I thought it'd been around forever, Elf on the Shelf, but it's based on a 2005 self-published book. Must be the most successful self-published book ever wow. by a mother and daughter who told this story to each other about these elves that spy on the kids before Christmas and check and report back to Santa every night whether they've been naughty or nice. Then they fly back in the morning and hide in a different place. And um, yeah, it's been on the bestseller list every year since 2013, which is quite good for a self-published book. And it, it came with a free, like, elf that you sit on your shelf. But, yeah, it's caused does, so much outrage. Does it have cameras in it and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need to. It's got eyes right. that can see. I see. Okay. But, no, it doesn't. But it gives your kids the idea that they're constantly being surveilled. Yeah. It's kind of just like, um, you know, naughty and nice list from Santa Claus, isn't it? Like, yeah. he sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> exactly. He knows when you're awake. That's how they sing it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's how like you sing it in your overcoat you on street corners. <laughs> <laughs> you better watch out. <laughs> okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on various bits of social media. I'm on Instagram, on at Schreiberland. James? Uh, on Twitter, at James Harkin. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. 
And Anna? You can contact All of the Fish by emailing podcast at qi.com or Twittering or Xing at no such thing. Yeah. Um, or you Xing? Can... Is that the verb? Uh, no, it's such a stupid word. No one's come up with a verb yet. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, or you can go to our group website, which is no such thing as a fish.com. We have all of our previous episodes up there. We have a link to Club Fish or just come back next week because we'll have another episode for you. Merry Christmas, everyone. We hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye!